Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. Well, it was good to have Richard Garton with us last Sunday. What a blessing to have him and the Gartons visiting. A challenging word in season as he reflected on Acts 2, 42 to 47. And I know I've been getting a few insults here and there about the length of my preaches. And the previous week, didn't we have an amazing Sunday with the next gen leading us? Weren't they amazing? What a blessing they were. And some of you rightly said, listen, we had four life-impacting messages this morning, and they were still combined shorter than one of your messages. And last week, obviously, Richard Garton really set the bar because he got you to get your phones out and set an alarm to bring accountability to the length of the sermon. So I thought that's a good practice. So if you get your phones out where you are now and uh, set your alarm to half two this afternoon, and <laughs> we'll see how we get on. No, I'm playing. I don't want to do any of that phone nonsense. We just go with the flow and see what happens. But I hope you've got your dinner tonight rather than this lunchtime. No, I'm playing. I was thinking this week, how can I try and just nip and tuck my messages a little bit? And I just thought, maybe I'll just start with the conclusion. Maybe that's the best thing to do. And then we know it's going to be shorter than an hour, hopefully. Acts 3, verse 1. I've called this message today, Church Meets World. And uh, it's kind of an interesting title, I suppose, because... Last week, or the week before, you could say, surely the church met the world when they came out of the upper room, emboldened with the Holy Spirit, and started speaking in other languages. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, talked about the gifts of the Spirit, specifically speaking in tongues. And um, just an amazing thing playing out where the presence of God really comes on a crowd of thousands of people who are all in Jerusalem for this specific celebration. And... um, It says in the scriptures that in one day after Peter's preached, 3,000 people gave their lives to following Jesus. An amazing, amazing turnout of events. Uh, Just previously, before the Holy Spirit came, the church was really contained, uh, scared uh, for their future, not sure what the future would hold. But the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit leads them out of the upper room into the streets of Jerusalem And Peter steps up, he stands up, he speaks up, and he shakes up uh, the environment by bringing the gospel message of sorts. And 3,000 people, 3,000 people in one day. That's, That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a church, that's the fruit that we see in this moment. And this fruit has been repeated beyond biblical times. You look at revivals that have broken out um, around the world, even in the last 120 years, and you can see that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, we should be expecting big things to happen. Uh, And 3,000 people get saved, and it is amazing. And Richard said last week how they gave themselves to kind of habits and disciplines. Um, The breaking of bread, prayer, sitting under the apostles' teaching, um, what else was it? Fellowship as well. Uh, where's Adam Clark? Can I just get Adam Clark to come up? No, I'm playing. I don't know if he's... He may not have come today because he doesn't want to stand up. But um, no, I don't really need him today. But today, we're going to look at another facet of the church in the world. And it's still super impressive, but we're not talking about 3,000 people in one moment. We're talking about one individual. And this really makes me sing for joy because... For those of you who have been in Sunny Hill for a little while, you know our vision as a church is that we want to be here for the one that doesn't know Jesus yet. 
So whilst I celebrate these mass revival outpourings, I love that, whilst we see 3,000 people in one day responding to the good news of Jesus, and boy, do I want to see that, actually we see this moment, distinct moment in history, where actually two apostles are going about their daily business, and they see one person's life impacted, and it's still as glorious and beautiful as the preceding passage where 3,000 get saved. It says in the Gospel of Luke that every time one sinner repents... It says there is a celebration in heaven. It says there is a party because the angels know what's at stake. That one person who is on the highway to hell, an eternity outside of the presence of their loving heavenly father, that is significant. And so one, when one person responds to the good news, it is worthy of put everything down and let's celebrate because this person's life has been transformed, not just in the immediate, but for the eternal. And so as we get into this passage today, I want us to think about the one. We thought about the 3,000, we thought about the crowd, now I want to think about the individual. So, Acts chapter 3, verse 1, let's read together. <clears throat> one day, Peter and John, can we have this up there please, Jonathan? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, now, we know that this was their habit because last week we saw that if you look in verse 46, the preceding verses, it says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. So this is just part of their day-to-day -day habit. Uh, Peter and John going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Verse two. Now, a man crippled from birth or lame from birth, unable to walk, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. Now, just a distinction, this man is not called Beautiful. I remember when I read this, and as a teenager, I thought, what a random name for a man. A man named Beautiful, okay? No, it's the gate that was beautiful. And his position is quite significant. You see, this man was lame from birth, which meant that he was disqualified from temple worship. He had outer limitation. He had physical uh, dysfunction and ailment, and that meant that the closest he could get to the temple courts was the gate. But he couldn't even get to the gate himself. He was totally dependent on friends, family, I don't know who, lifting him and carrying him to the gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John, two apostles who walked with Jesus, about to enter, he asked them, for money. Now, just a little thought for a minute. Jesus was often at the temple courts. Jesus would teach in the temple courts. So Jesus himself would have passed this man. Like this man was there every day. That's what the scripture says. Every day he was placed there to beg for money. So Jesus walked past this man and now Peter and John are going about their day-to-day -day business, going to pray. And when Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Verse 4, this is intense. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. Look at us. I don't know what he was looking at. I don't know whether he was looking to their pockets, where their wallet may be. I don't know whether he was looking to their hands, but they said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Wow. Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. 
And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And listen to this. Then he went with them into the temple courts. The very place that had been off limits for him his whole life. He was now taking himself with them into this space where people were gathering to praise God. And, and I love what it says. Then he went with them into the temple courts. How did he go in? Walking and jumping and praising God. This man knew what it was like to be a lame duck in life. This guy knew what it was like to be stuck in life. This guy knew what it was like to be unable to help himself in life and to be stuck at a place where he wanted to go. But now, uh, through the name of Jesus, these apostles had administered healing and now he was able to enter into a new space. And so he didn't just stroll into this space. He walked and he leapt and he jumped for joy, praising God. I love it. I love it when people get saved and there is that marked difference in their countenance. Do you know what I mean? Like, they come into the kingdom and they have little knowledge, very little understanding. But all they know is, man, my life was like hell, but now I've been lifted out of that place and my feet have been set up on a rock. And they become an example to the chosen frozen. Because what happens in life is you, you, you come into the kingdom with little knowledge and bags of passion and zeal. And over time, if religion has its way, you grow in knowledge and understanding and you wane in zeal and passion. <laughs> and I think that's a challenge to us because the Holy Spirit doesn't just want us to be familiar with the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit actually wants us to continue walking, leaping, jumping, praising God, celebrating Him for all He has done in our life. And so He's walking and praising God. I'm thinking about some people who at Ferndown recently who have got saved. Um, amazing, amazing story. In the midst of chaos and despair and brokenness and heartache, Jesus has just intercepted somebody in their walk. And, and now they, their whole focus in life has shifted dramatically. I think about people here as well. I think about the likes of Dan Riggs, who is somewhere abroad today that I'm not jealous about whatsoever. I couldn't care less. Where is he? Scotland? Please tell me Scotland. Where is he? Norway. Norway. Right, great. Okay. Visiting the fjords. That's beautiful, yeah? Um, <laughs> that was close, right? That Norway-ish, kind of. I, I actually um, deleted all the Germans off my phone. Yeah, it's hands-free now. <laughs> Sorry, I get distracted. It just is what it is. Where was I? Dan Riggs. You know, he's despairing. He was anxious. He, and he wouldn't mind me sharing. He shared this story himself. He was, he was really confused in life and struggling and just limping through. He was just lame in life and, like, dragged to church or whatever, came to church and confronted with a message that provoked him to respond. And when he got up, his feet and ankles became strong. And then his posture and countenance has changed. It doesn't mean that his circumstances are amazing and that he's getting everything he wants. They're still walking through challenges, but there's something in their countenance that shifts, which is amazing. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened 
to him. Wow. Really profound, really profound passage that really emphasizes this, this burden, not for the thousands, but for the individual. And I've got five observations, and I was going to call them five lame observations, but I think they're pretty good. Um, so I want to offer them to you, um, and this is really my conclusion. Uh, but I, just, I, I guess I just want to speak to you. How, as a church, do we begin to meet the world where it's at? How do we begin to carry something of that life-changing purpose and hope and spirit that we carry into our day-to-day lives? So my first observation is this, and it's going to come up on the screen. It's this. In the ordinary moments of life, there are extraordinary opportunities. This is something for us to really grapple with. Because I think often, I think often we, we think that kind of these crazy moments only play out in kind of churchy environments. Like there should be something distinctly spiritual about this moment that would be so obviously God engineering something that I won't miss it. But actually what we see in this passage is it's just two guys going to the temple courts, going about their business, going to pray at three in the afternoon. And this guy reaches out saying, listen, have you got any money? And they say, listen, we've got something better for you. And in this distinctly ordinary moment, something extraordinary plays out. And I guess I want to remind you this morning that as Christians, like... What is on our life is not just the ability to go to church. It's actually to carry something supernatural into the physical world around us. We are spiritual beings. Yes, we have physical bodies, but first and foremost, we are spirit beings. And so we've got to think in every moment that we find ourselves in, is there an opportunity here in this ordinary moment to see God do something extraordinary? The the reason that this paradigm shift is really crucial is because I wonder how often do we miss the man at the temple gate because we're going about business. Like, oh, you know, I've got to get to church. And we miss the opportunity to see God's kingdom invade earth because we're set on doing the task of Christianity and we actually miss the very idea that in the ordinary facets of life, God wants to do extraordinary things. I think of like the school run. It's like a monotonous task. Like the school run, I mean, I, I drop off Caleb most days, but when I would do the younger ones at St. Mark's and stuff, you know, it's just like this laborious task of just like, I've got to be there at a certain time, I've got to get the kids ready, got to get them, drop them off, and it's the same thing, and it just feels almost like a prison sentence. It's like every day the same thing. And yet Louise would often challenge me because God would give her prophetic words for parents and she would write prophetic notes for parents in the playground because what she was really set on was bringing the extraordinary into the ordinary moments of life. Like, it's hugely challenging. She never wrote me a prophetic note. It's like, seriously, I've been married to you for how long and I don't get one note, not one. But this woman who you don't really know, you feel like you need to write her a letter. And it's amazing because actually it's this extraordinary moments breaking out in ordinary moments of life. I I think of distinct examples. Even last Saturday, I was so ill. I shared a testimony on Facebook uh, last Sunday morning, but I wanted to just give glory to God. I, I was so ill at the end of last week. I suspect I probably had COVID, but, you know, I didn't get a test done because I was going to be doing the wedding ceremony for my nephew. And 
you know, for, I, I came down pretty hard Wednesday night, and I, I was thinking, okay, I've got two or three days, I'm going to be all good. But every day I was getting worse and worse and worse. And I was, I was taking Lemsip. I was doing, I was sniffing Lemsip. I was doing anything I could. I was like, I'm going to get this stuff in my system. Get it ready. Like I bought one of those, I don't know if they're legal or not, but one of those um, like things that you spray down your throat that just takes, makes your whole body numb, just makes you want to flop basically. It's really amazing. I've, I'll be dealing it from my car boot later if you want any, by the way. Um, I was, I was looking for all kind of medical help, and then on Saturday morning, it got so bad, I couldn't even speak. I woke up, and I prayed the night before. I was like, God, can you just like, give me my voice back, even if I feel rough, even if I've got soaring temperatures, I just need a voice for the wedding. Um, and so I took all the drugs, I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I was worse, and I said to Louise, I was like, I can't talk. And so I just, you know, because nothing else was working, I thought I better get people praying for me, right? which is ridiculous. So I text my mum, which is what grown men should do <laughs> when they're at death's door, okay? They should definitely reach out to their mum. And I said, mum, can you pray for me, please? This was about six in the morning. I was like, I, I just don't think I'll be able to do the wedding today. And then within about 10 minutes, she says, me and your dad are coming over. And I was like, hey, okay, I, I wasn't really asking for that. Um, we got guests here and it's pretty early. And she says, no, God's told us to come over, so we're coming over. And they come in about, I don't know, half six in the morning. I, I literally look awful. I'm at the dinner table. And, um, and they come in. And my mom was like, your dad's bought oil. He's going to anoint you with oil. And he also anointed me with water. And to be honest, I was like, I was all for it. I was like, let's just do, let's just deal with this thing. And literally, my, my dad got oil. Because the scripture talks about anointing sick people with oil. It talks about it in the book of James. And it's, it's almost like a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's this idea of the Holy Spirit touching you and anointing you with oil. Um, and I kid you not, I'm, I'm not one kind of given to kind of big drama or anything like that. But as soon as he touched the oil just on my head, I'm not even joking, my temperature just lifted and my throat opened up. Just literally opened up. Amazing. Um, and I'm not one of those people to try and like dramatize it. You know, and then a lightning came through the window. It was just like... I was sat there, and, and it was undeniable that it wasn't just like a bit of positive thinking. Like two minutes before they walked through the door, I didn't think I'd be able to go to the wedding. And then and, and they start praying, and my dad just got the oil, and literally as soon as he just made contact with my head, I just felt my temperature. When I say lift, I mean go, not as in get higher. I felt my temperature go, and my, my throat just completely open up. And literally... I was then able to pray off the back of his prayer, and my prayer was like, I wouldn't say it was like 100% like normal dom loud, but I was like, Lord, I receive that. And as I'm speaking, I'm like, I can talk. I can talk. And it's an amazing picture of just the extraordinary breaking into the very ordinary. Like, it wasn't me responding to a inspiring message at church or or coming forward with many people just like I need you Lord it was just in my place of weakness and brokenness as I called out to Jesus and actually got my dad and my mom to pray for me it was like in my weakness Christ's strength made perfect and this oil just just set me on a course for the rest of the day I mean I even did a Kaylee in the evening I mean there were two miracles on this day right because I have vowed to not do Kayleys and barn dances because I always end up with the worst dancer in the room. You start with someone beautiful like your spouse, Louise, and you're like, okay, that's good because I can lift her and throw her around. That's great. And then they say, right, now everyone walk around in the opposite way. 
And now I've got massive Stephen, right? And I'm like, why does this always happen? So I don't do Kayleys generally. But, um, but like, it was amazing. Like, I, it's, it's not like I was 100% perfect, but I was able to do everything and more that I wanted to do because God is that faithful. And it was in just the ordinary matters of life. <clears throat> but I mean, to be honest, I've been committed to this at other times. I share this story. It's an old story. But it's one that I think is quite funny because often when we testify, we share our successes. Well, I also like to share my fails. I like to share the things where I really miss the mark. One occasion before we had kids, I was driving down Ashley Road at about 11 o'clock at night. And I went past this guy who was walking by himself. And uh, God said, his name's John. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I felt God say, and he's got a brain tumor. I was like, that's not cool. And then God says, I want you to pray for him. And I was like, wow, okay. So I thought, well, I'll go back to my flat and I'll pray about that for a little while, <laughs> right? So I, I drive home and I pull onto the drive and I just feel the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What are you doing here? I told you to do it there. And so I, I feel inclined, just convicted by the Holy Spirit to go back out and look for John who was still walking the streets. And um, eventually I find him and I slow down to speak to him and then I just bottle it so I speed up again. Now this happens about four or five times. And I'm like in a boy race, a little coarser thing, right? And I'm just, I'm kind of imagining, John must think I'm flipping nuts. Like, this guy must think, like, I'm going to get mugged tonight, right? Because I was literally slowing down. I was like, no, this can't be right. Oh, no, maybe it is. No, it can't be right. And I was just literally going up and down Ashley Road. Um, and in the end, I thought, right, well, I'm just going to have to do this. And I need, to, I need to commit in such a way that I can't come back from it. So I find him. He's gone down a side road. I think he's probably trying to hide from me. Um, but I find him, and I don't know why, but I thought I need to stop him, and I need to make it so blatantly obvious that, that I, can't, I can't stop. So what I do is I pull my car onto the pavement. Yeah, bonnet first. I'm like blocking this guy's access. Like, and I can see he's a bit put out, and I'm like, right, Lord, this is for you. This is for you, Lord. This is going to be a great story. This is going to make a book one day. This is going to be so amazing. He could be the future assistant minister of Sunny Hill. Who knows who this man's going to be? And I get out of the car, and I said, is your name John? And he said, no. <laughs> I mean, it's not normally the kind of testimony you hear from a pastor, is it? I said, well, have you got a brain tumor? And he went, oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> and I said, well... I, th I think your name's John. And he said, well, it isn't John. And I said, well, I think it is. And I, you, maybe you're wrong. <laughs> you know, just get into a heated exchange about who knows this guy's name. Is it him or is it me? Like, are you sure it's not John? Like, maybe you were called John for a moment upon birth and then they changed it. What's your name? It's irrelevant. John is what you're called. Maybe, maybe you're John in the spirit, okay? Maybe you're John type character, okay? And, um, and anyways, I say, well, can I pray for you? And he was like, hell no. And I was like, oh. That sucks, Lord. I got back in the car and I drove home. And, you know, I, I share that because I guess what I'm trying to show you is that, like, one amazing testimony last week of the extraordinary breaking into the ordinary, and then another testimony where I was just like, like an absolute muppet for Jesus. And I, I kind of went to bed that evening and I was kind of grappling with God. I was like, there was a great opportunity for you there, Lord. You really missed the boat on that one. <laughs> Like, that could have been a really good story that could have done the rounds and could have really blessed people. But no, you didn't show up and you didn't do anything. And now I am looking like a Muppet. Um, but actually, in the scheme of it, it's all irrelevant. Because actually, I reckon in life of those significant moments where I've stepped out in faith, 
Like one in two times I've really seen something great and amazing unfold and the other time I've just looked like a Muppet. And like, unless I'm willing to look like a Muppet, then why should I be expecting to look like a hero? Like there's a sense that like it's in my, it's in my weakness, it's in my, in my folly almost, that God's strength is made perfect. Like it's not about me having the answers and always having a 100% track record, but it's just this idea that unless there's this desire in me to see the extraordinary just pierce into the ordinary moments of my life, then what is it I'm living for? Like, is it just mountaintop to mountaintop? Is it just like the Sunday service moments? And, and I just get this real strong sense that actually, I don't know what we call this guy who's crippled from birth, but like, let's call him John. No, let's not call him John. There's already a John in there. Let's call him Dave, right? Um, I think there's loads of Daves in our life. Loads of Daves. Daves in our schools, Daves in our colleges, colleges Daves in our workplaces, Daves in our families, and if we can just begin to see with eyes of faith the potential for every ordinary moment to be made extraordinary in the Holy Spirit, I think it's a game changer for us. So that's observation one, okay? And that may be the longest thing because I just really want to convey this importance to think like God isn't waiting for you to become like a Billy Graham. God isn't waiting for you to get a soapbox and start preaching on the streets in Paul. Maybe for some of you, that's the calling on your life amazing. But actually, what God wants to do more than anything is change one life at a time through your existence. And it's actually just by being bold and willing to get it wrong that you may get it right. Like... I've shared this story before, but I shared it again because I really, I, I really want us as a church, like one of our values is innovation. And you cannot be an innovative community unless there's a willingness to fail on a regular basis. Um, when Caleb was younger, he had a wooden train set. And um, there, there was this one day on a Saturday where he spent about an hour and a half building this elaborate train set in his bedroom. It like went under units and out of units and it was just incredible. And I go up and look at it and I say, Caleb, that's amazing. He was probably about five at the time. I was like, this is really amazing. I mean, you've really thought this out. This is so creative. It's taking you so long. It's amazing. Have fun. And then I go downstairs and within five minutes, I start hearing all of this wooden track going back in the box. Like literally like being destroyed upstairs because we've got wooden floors. I can hear it. And so I go up to his room and he's dismantled half of it and put it back away. And I said, Caleb, what are you doing? And he says, well, you asked me to put it away. I was like, I didn't ask you to put it away. And he says, oh, I thought you called from downstairs. Can you put it away? Why am I saying that? Is Caleb misheard me? But for me as a dad, I was like, that's obedience. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I never asked him to put the track away, and even though it was against what he wanted to do in his flesh, he thought that's what I said, and so he responded in obedience to what he thought his father was saying. And for me as a dad, that's still obedience. It's just kind of misheard obedience. And the reason I'm saying that is maybe at work, maybe there's opportunity where the Holy Spirit says, pray for that person. And you go and you pray for that person, but maybe God didn't say that. But let me tell you this, is I believe that when God sees you stepping out on those hunches and on those whims that I think God is saying this, I think actually God like almost affirms that as obedience in our life. Some of us are too inactive because we think, no, I need to have that sign from heaven. I need to have it confirmed two or three times. I need to hear the vo audible voice of, Lord, of the Lord. But I think more often than not, it's just in those ordinary moments being sensitive to what God may be saying. And I believe that when we attune our um, hearing to that, the more we step out, the more clear God's voice becomes to us.
But there has to be a willingness to get it wrong. There has to be a willingness to look foolish at times. Who's willing to look foolish for Jesus? Because like, I'm, I'm looking at the world and people are doing far more stupid things and celebrating it. Like some of the crock I'm seeing on the news, I'm like, how have they got the tenacity to do this? Yet as the church, we remain silent. Like what is it we fear exactly? Is it, is it the idea that we may become unpopular? Is it the, 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 the fear that we may be mislabeled as bigots or whatever it may be? Well, surely at some point, that's what dying to flesh is. It's about seeing the Daves and going, this may or may not work. And obviously, you don't go with that mentality because you want to stir the gift of faith. But ultimately, the, the worst thing that can happen in this, in this moment is I can look stupid. And I'm good with that. In fact, I've become an expert at that. I think it's one of the greatest gifts on my life. I'm serious. Because uh, I, I actually don't mind looking stupid. I've done so many stupid things for different kids' clubs down Paul High Street. I've dressed as pirates, Buzz Lightyear, Batman. I've chased women into shops. I've done all this stuff all on camera. There's proof on YouTube. You, need an, you may need a bit of context for that. Teresa, Teresa May seen it, haven't you, Teresa May? <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, like, I've, I've done these stupid things, right, because I actually don't mind looking foolish, but now can I just employ that same skill set into the things of the Spirit? I feel like God's saying this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go after it. Because the upside is this. God can move and we can see Dave go off walking, leaping. Or I can protect my dignity and I can protect my reputation and I can go to the temple courts to pray as I intended to do this morning. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Okay, I'm going to move on. Because even my conclusions are long, so it seems okay. Right, so point two, and this is going to be quicker. Often physical problems have spiritual solutions. We have to think about this. Because often we, we, we think that any physical problem we're facing must have a physical solution, a physical solve. Let me give you an example. Maybe it's the rising mortgage rates uh, or rental rates. Or you find yourself in a dead-end situation where it, it seems like the economy is just, well, it's not working in anyone's favor, is it, other than the, <laughs> the elites and all that. Um, but ultimately, maybe you're looking at it and you're going like, oh, this is a real problem. I need to go meet with my bank manager or I need to go to a loan company because there's got to be a physical solution to this physical problem. But what I've learned in life is more often than not, the solution is often spiritual. Now, now, what I mean by that, if I'm using that as an example, is like, for example, what does the Scripture teach me about finance? What are the spiritual principles of stewarding money, of spending money, of saving money, of sowing money? What are the spiritual principles? Because actually, if I align my thinking and my practice to what the Bible says, then I can also expect the fruit that the Scripture promises to flow into my life. But if I only think in terms of physical solutions to physical problems, then I think often we have to sustain the solution in our own strength. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get financial advice at all. You should. Like those things aren't bad. But understand this is that before anything, I believe we should start with a spiritual response to physical problems. Like maybe there's a, maybe you've had a diagnosis uh, or something, you know, or that you, you, you're living with a condition or maybe some label that speaks to your mental health. And 
and, and it's, like, it's almost like a physical, a physical ailment um, articulated from a physical doctor which now has a physical prescription with physical medication. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not against medication. I'm not one of those people that say, stop taking your meds, right? For the love of this church community, please keep taking your meds, okay? Okay? <laughs> stay on the medicine. The world has come off its medicine. We see what's happening there, right? You stay on your meds, right? But actually, if we are only thinking that this is the way that this is solved, we're actually fundamentally missing something of our understanding of God as healer. So, so I come to the scriptures and I understand more something of, of this idea that when Jesus went to the cross, yes, it was to deal with my sin, a thousand percent, and that is really the paramount message of the good news. I need my sin dealt with. I cannot deal with it myself. But also on the cross, Jesus dealt with our sicknesses and our pains. So now my faith is expanding a little bit because I'm starting to see maybe there's a spiritual solution to this physical problem that I'm enduring. Now, I, I say this with a caveat that we live in a broken world and eventually we all die for a moment and then we come to life in Christ, okay? So it's not like our goal is just to stay alive and never die because actually even in death we win. Even in death there's victory. But what we have to understand is that like in this moment, in this passage, Dave, the lame man, you know, I wish I had a better name for him, but Dave, you know, he thinks, I need money. Now, money can't heal this man. Money can't actually change his physical predicament. All money can do is offer some minor compensation for a sucky life of dependence. And, and so in his mind, he's thinking, physical solution, money, to my physical ailment being lame. Peter and John walk by and understand, no, there's a spiritual solution to this physical problem. So the win for Dave was maybe I can go home, maybe I can get 500 quid today. And let's say Peter and John responded in that way. You know, it's important that we have a social gospel, like we should certainly be <coughs> practical. So here's 500 pound. So Dave goes home 500 pound richer. Cool. But he still can't walk. Like 500 quid's nice. But walking's better. So like the church could have responded in that way, but thank God, they were like, they understood, no, there's a spiritual solution to this problem. And in this moment, how it played out was, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Like these words of authority that emanated from the apostles' mouths and, and affected Dave's physical condition. I really want to just offer that to you because maybe you've hit a wall. Like maybe you've just hit a wall or a ceiling and it's a challenge, and it's a, and it's a real roadblock to what you think God wants to do in and through your life. Let, let me just say, take it to the Lord. Like, begin to ask for the Holy Spirit's revelation on your situation. Like, maybe it's a relational problem. Maybe there's a relational deficit. Maybe, maybe you and your spouse are just not seeing eye to eye. Like, and maybe you think we need marital counseling. Yeah, maybe, or maybe just try and start praying together. Maybe. Or, or maybe just start praying for your spouse. Or, or better still, praying for yourself. Lord, help me to become a better husband. Like often these physical problems, they have spiritual solutions. And honestly, I, I find the word of God to be like a, it gives me the edge in life. Like over all my peers that don't walk with Jesus, over all those, you know, 20-year-olds, just like me, you know, navigating life outside of the Word of God. 
Like, I've got, I've got, a, I've got the living word here. And this, this word teaches me how to live a life that honors God. It teaches me how to surrender to his will and his purposes. And it teaches me principles that are not just flesh. They are spirit. Really important for us to understand that. Third point. Third observation is this. Can I get number three, please? Up. Don't be discouraged or distracted by what you don't have. Focus on and celebrate what you do have. This is a really crucial observation. You know, imagine if this story, Peter and John says, sorry, mate, silver and gold we don't have. See you tomorrow. (laughs) This time tomorrow? See you tomorrow. So often, I think we, we live under the excuse of what we lack rather than what we possess. And I think, actually, when we start to use what God has given us, we're proving ourselves faithful with what he's given us, the talent or whatever. And, and, and as, we, as we work it out, I believe God sees open hands and stewards that he's able to bless more with. Like, you know, if we just take this as a literal thing for a moment, like we could say, oh, I would give to this, but I don't have enough. I would serve in that way, but I don't feel like I'm good enough. Like, when when you begin to think in that way, you're partnering with the enemy because what the enemy wants you to do is to belittle the impact you can have with what God has already put in your possession. And like, if you literally came into church this morning, but you know Jesus, with nothing, let's say you walk to church because you can't afford a car, and let's say you didn't leave home this morning, so you're sleeping under a bridge. And let's say you have no money in your pocket and you've got no shoes on your feet. I don't think this is anyone here right now. But let's just say that was the situation that you walked into church with today. Let me tell you something. You've still got something to offer. Do you hear me? You've still got something to offer. The moment you begin to think, no, I'm not like this person. Oh, I can't play that instrument. Or I don't have these finances. Or I don't have this personality. We start discrediting what God has given to us to use. Like, if you know Jesus today like I do, then we have the authority of Christ to actually pray for sicknesses and expect to see people healed. So, So today... Like, don't think it's just about skills and abilities. Like, we've got the volunteer fair thing today. And this is really apt for that because maybe you think, oh, you know, kids works for those people who've got bags of energy and actually like children, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I I sense there's a lot of people relating to that right there, right? Or, um, you know, the setup team, oh, that's only for those hunky guys, you know, who, who are just always up for moving boxes or or whatever it may be out there, like outreach, evangelism. Oh, that's for people like Israel who, who are happy to go and rap on Paul High Street. That's not me. That's not me. Let me tell you, don't underestimate what God can do through you as you offer what you have into his hands. He multiplies. He expands the potential on your life. Um, Matthew, do you want to come up and play some keys? Because then I am going to land this uh, thing. How long have I been? Can someone tell me at the back there? don't clap that I was asking the people at the back what's that oh you're kidding okay seriously okay we're going to land this then Um, but just please don't be discouraged or distracted by what you don't have celebrate what you've got 
It glorifies God, and that's so important. Every time you speak against what you don't have, like I find myself this at the moment, Dream Builders, we're praying into our building situation, and I can really quickly become, surely we deserve it by now, Lord. Surely we've done our time of the setup and the pack down and the rushing in and the rushing out and the, the limited impact we can have midweek because we, we don't have a fixed venue in a location that is like serviceable for us. Lord, surely we've done it. And the problem is, is like that sense of pity partying has never attracted God's blessing in my whole life. It's always been gratitude. It's like, Lord, I'm thankful. So even like reframing my prayers, Lord, thank you for Magna Academy. Thank you, Lord, that we've had the finance to rent this space consistently for a number of years. Thank you, Lord, for the people that have been saved in this venue. Thank you, Lord, that we bring a weekly church presence into a worldly school every single Sunday. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have impacted Cavity. Thank you, Lord, for the provision of Lounge One for the years that we had it, Lord. Thank you for the people that we've spoken to. Thank you for the relationships that have been formed. Like, as soon as you rewire your perspective, I think actually that then it's demonstrating a sense of faithfulness with what God's given us. And it's from that place, okay, now they are learning to celebrate what they have, now I can give more. Like, I'm really learning that as well with people. Lord, if you just gave me these sorts of people, then imagine what we could do. But actually, the more I spend time praying for you guys, and it's not because I'm, I can realize that can sound really harsh. I didn't mean it to sound like that, right? So I don't win any pastor points. But like sometimes we always think if we just had this or just had that, had this money, had this building, had these skill sets, then, you know, the sky's the limit. No, the opposite is true. Because actually when we come with what we have, even if we think it's not a lot, then actually the margin for the glory of God is greater and I can actually say, God, can you multiply this? Can you make this work for your purposes? And so don't be distracted or discouraged by what you don't have. Focus and celebrate what you do have. So I celebrate, I celebrate all that God has given to us as a church. And I celebrate all of you. And I celebrate all the leaders. And like for me, my prayer constantly is, Lord, help me to see church as family. Help me to see us as brothers and sisters in Christ who just love our heavenly Father, like help me just to see what you've given us in this way. Let me attribute the value to this place that you attribute to this place. And as I come with a sense of thanksgiving and celebration, then, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm less drawn to the things I don't have. I'm more excited by what's in my hands. And fourthly, fourth observation is this. Uh, can you put it up please, Jonathan? Fourth observation is this. Sometimes the breakthrough comes in the get-up moments. Let me give you just an example here. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Verse 6, Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Now listen to this. This is something we often miss. Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. It doesn't say that they prayed for him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. No, it doesn't say that. It says that they prayed for him, but it's as they physically moved him from his position that he'd been in since birth, that in that process of faith application, in that process of acting on what they prayed, as they pulled Dave up to his feet, instantly his feet and ankles became strong. And, and I think... 
I, th- I think about this because I think often Satan tries to get us to stay there. Because if we dare test what we've been praying for, if we dare put into action the thing that we've been really seeking the Lord for, then maybe in the act of faith, as we get up, as we literally physically move from our position, and as we're helped up, there's something of faith released, and the feet and ankles become strong. Like, and the reason I'm saying this is because, like, maybe our, our, our mindset is this, is that I will feel different when it's sorted. Or, or maybe my physicality will change when it's sorted. Maybe my mentality will change when it's sorted. Maybe my relationship will be healed as soon as it's sorted. And I will know instantly that because of this prayer, I've got the miracle. But I, I just really sensed as I was preparing this message that God wanted me to say, no, sometimes you have to get up. And it's that act of defiance, holy defiance against the lifelong sentence you've been bearing like as you get up to your feet that's when the breakthrough comes that's when the miracle comes like pray for that relational reconciliation but maybe expect that you need to pick up a phone as well maybe you need to pick up a phone and reach out to a person and allow God to release that miracle like pray for an addition of funds to your bank account but maybe you need to tithe Maybe you need to start giving. Maybe you need to start being generous. Like changing your position. Like sure, like pray for healing from anxiety and depression. And like that you won't be scared of going out. But maybe, maybe, and this is for people listening online. Maybe you need to leave your house. Maybe you need to get off the mat. Maybe you need to change your position. And as you do, instantly strength can come to your feet and ankles. Amen? Amen? Amen. Observation five, and then we are done. There are, put five up please, there are no great testimonies without great tests. I think that's something Smith Wigglesworth said, this famous kind of preacher, evangelist, healing guy from years ago. That like, we all want the testimony. We don't really want the tests. But testimonies come from tests. The greater the testimony are born from greater tests. So in this scenario, we see what is the result of this man's testimony. It says that the people who saw it were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow, look at what God has done in this person's life. That's the testimony. But the reason the testimony is so powerful is because the test was so great. So I guess what I want to encourage you is any any challenge you're facing right now, any test you're limping through, Just understand that the greater the test, the greater the testimony. That actually on the other side of this, when you can begin to testify and share, the testimony is weightier because it's been born through hardship and difficulty and challenge. So those are the five observations. And let me just conclude with this. Because, you know, I think think the church needs to meet the world and I think the world needs to meet the church. And I think, like... Let's not just think it's for the Doms or the Joes and the Collins and the preachers and the pastors. It's, it's for the church folk who are just going around about their ordinary business. But let me just give you this application for you today. If you don't know Jesus as your saviour. And maybe just shut your eyes for a moment as I do this. And I'm going to also invite the band to come up. <coughs> that like maybe in this story today in Acts chapter 3. There's actually a picture of the gospel too. Because you know. 
this morning I've been really emphasizing the role of the church in the world. But just for a moment, I want to emphasize the role of Jesus in your life. Because actually, we are all born like Dave. What do I mean by that? We are all born lame. We are all born crippled. We are all born unable to help ourselves. And maybe we don't realize that. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior today. You don't realize that that's the truth. That actually, you know, you cannot navigate this life on your own. And actually, you need the help of others. And you have been carried in life, but you yourself cannot walk because you, like me, we were born lame. We were born unable to walk this life. But yet Jesus comes, like Peter and John, to this man in this moment and offers us a hand of healing. <clears throat> and that hand of healing, it has to be received. Now, now, what does that look like? It looks like a response to him. So, so it's not just about positive thinking. It's this idea that when Jesus extends his hand of healing, it's not just a, hey, let me help you walk. It's actually this, let me forgive you of all of your sins. Now, often we don't join the dots there. Like, because sometimes maybe we just think Jesus is like an addition that helps our life feel a little bit better. But let me tell you, without Jesus, you're going to hell. Without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no true love. Without Jesus, there is no true joy. Without Jesus, there is no true life. All that awaits us is an eternity separated from our loving Heavenly Father. That's the reality. But yet Jesus comes and extends to us his hand. And our response to that hand is this, Lord, I need salvation. I need your forgiveness. And it's in that moment that as, as we respond to that, that Jesus pulls us to our feet. And instantly there's a transformation in our, in our inner being. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Almost like in this act of responding to the invitation of the gospel, we get up and we leave the old man behind and we become the new creation in Christ. But the hand has to be received. It's not just a message that we can know and not do anything with. And I just get the sense, maybe today Jesus is walking past your gate. Maybe Jesus is at your door today and you're sat lame on the outside of it. And he's saying, listen, it's not money that's your saviour. It's not physical healing that's your saviour. It, it's not that dream house that's your saviour or that dream job with that dream income that's your saviour. It's me. I'm your saviour. That's what Jesus is saying to you today. And Jesus is extending his hand of grace and mercy to you. And I just want to create a moment for you to reach out this morning and take his hand and allow him to pull you to your feet. Set your feet upon a rock and to become the new creation that he's calling you to be.